So good. You guys can grab a seat. Those words resonate with me on such a deep level. It's amazing. And, and to, to match that, to pair that with communion, one of the most beautiful things of our faith. Um, so good. So good. I'm reminded of that verse where it's taste and see that the Lord is good and of our, our five senses, right? Sight, hearing, uh, smell. Those are things you can do from a distance. Uh, touch only gets you at a surface level, but then to taste something is, is far more intimate, to invite something into you and, and to know that the Lord set it up that way, where, where we're entering in, we're inviting him in, we're, we're remembering what it is that he did for us. So good. Uh, so I, I spent some time thinking this last week on the best American inventions of all time. And I would, I would uh, here's my list. I have to put the lazy boy somewhere up there, the good old recliner. Uh, I'd have to put the light bulb, electricity, internet, urinal, and football somewhere in there as well. Uh, but my family had a lazy boy growing up, and it was, it was a nice baby blue color. We have a few pics. Uh, we called it the blue chair. That's how we knew it in our household. It was the blue chair. And it had a lot of memories tied to it. There were times I, I would find myself there in tears, uh, I was sad, or there's times that I would find myself there and I was extremely happy and uh, ecstatic. Uh, but my most vivid memories of the blue chair was when my dad was there and I was seeking it out. I was seeking it out because I was in pain. Someone had just hurt my feelings or I had just tripped and fallen and hurt my knee or something, something like that. But, but I would go to the blue chair and seek out my dad and crawl up on his lap and kind of snuggle with my dad. And the reality was, it didn't necessarily change my circumstance much. The pain would continue to throb a lot of times. Tears would still come, come flowing out of my eyes. But I wasn't alone. I had an advocate. I had someone where I was feeling safe and protected. I, I, I had what I needed. I, actually, I would say I had more than I needed. I was in the presence of someone greater than myself. And, and in speaking with Pastor Mike and, and looking at just this series of events that hit Overlake in these last few weeks, this last month or so, we just felt like Overlake as a family, we could use some time in the blue chair, that we could just soak in the presence of, of Jesus, that we could just be in a place where, where we're ministered to. And, and maybe circumstances really haven't changed. But we feel complete, we feel whole, we feel alive, we feel protected, we feel that we have more than we need even. And so what I want to look at is really this idea of peace, of what it looks like to have a peace-filled life. And, and where I called it peace-filled versus peaceful is because I think in, a, in, in our terms in English as Americans, I think peace or peaceful kind of conjures up passive like pictures of, of things that are free from civil disturbance or hostility, uh, no internal, external trife, uh, strife. Maybe, maybe you find yourself on a beach with a corona. Like that's, that's what you picture in your mind, those ads that run, find your own beach. Uh, but the reality is that's all circumstantial. It's really situational. It's completely conditional. And it really, it, I mean, li listen to some of these statements that, that I've, I've heard people say, or I know people say, or I've said myself, is that, oh, I'll have peace if I can just get my kids out the door and, and off to school. My mom said that almost every day growing up. Uh, I, I'll have some peace if I can just finish responding to all these messages in my inbox, right? If I can just get done with all these overwhelming feelings. I'll, I'll have some peace if I can just get to the gym and get a workout in, burn off some of this stress. 
I'll have peace if I can just get on the jet and, and the next jet and just head over to Maui. Like, that's, that's, that's what will bring it for me. But the idea of peace in Scripture, the biblical term, is, is far grander than that, far larger, far greater. And it's rooted in this term, this word, it's Hebrew, it's shalom. And shalom really means to be complete, to be whole, to, to, to live well, or to be uh, uh, filled with abundant life. It really is this idea of completeness. And, and it really is kind of, it flows really three directions. The first being that there can be shalom within you in the sense of you realize your own worth and your own value. And so there's this healthy self-love that you have. It also flows outward into the, the relationships that you have in your life when you realize other people's worth, other people's value. And there's harmony in those relationships. There's completeness, there's wholeness. And then it also flows with our God, a, a divine shalom, if you will, of, of, of being in connection, of a vibrant relationship with God. And so a peaceful life isn't conditional. It's not situational. It's not circumstantial at all. And really, when you think of what shalom is, you think of what this biblical term of peace is, isn't that what everyone is seeking for? Completeness, wholeness, abundant life? Isn't that what people are in pursuit of, they long for, they desire for, sadly, sometimes even kill others for? I mean, it's somewhat paradoxical, but, but really people are in, in hot pursuit over this reality of peace. And, and, and so the big question comes then, well, where do we find it? If we can find the source, then we've identified something great. And what I love is this quote, and I'll, um, I'm just going off memory, but it's from a professor at Northwest University. And he says, peace is more than a concept. Peace is more than just a principle. Peace is a person. And that person's name is Jesus. We have to realize that Jesus is the source of peace. You even look in scripture, he's called the Prince of Peace. Look at what his mission statement was as he came here on earth was to bring peace, to bring life, to bring wholeness, to bring completeness. And, and how did he do it? Not through control, not through manipulation, not through war, but through serving others, through outlandish love, through self-sacrifice. So peace is synonymous with Jesus. And so if you want to fill in the, the only blank in your notes this morning, there's just one. We'll go quick. There's just a few verses I want to sit on. But, but it's this idea, it's this statement that trust is a must for a peace-filled life. Trust is a must for a peace-filled life. Trust in the very source of peace. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trusting in him. And there's really three facets to trust. And we'll look at each of them. The reality is that trust both both exists in the past, trusting in who Jesus was, what he did here on earth, and, and communion is a great example of that. Uh, trust also in the present, whatever go, is going on in your life right now, but then trust also in the future tense, and we'll get to that. But first I want to look at this verse in John chapter 16, and, and realize this. These are words that Jesus is speaking to his disciples the day before he is going to be murdered on a cross, killed on history's greatest mode of torture. The cross, the Roman cross. The day before that, he speaks these words. This is from the NLT. It says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. You may have shalom in me. You may have completeness and wholeness and life in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. 
But take heart, because I have overcome the world. So Jesus does promise that there will be pain, trials, and sorrows. But he also promises peace. And he's, he's not ashamed to say, if, if you want peace, it's, it's found in me. And if you can't trust me yet, bros, uh, based on all the things that I've done, walking on water, feeding thousands with bread and fish, just a few loaves, few fish. If, if you can't trust me based on account of the fact of healing the lame, the blind, the sick, the ill, even raising Lazarus from the dead, then trust me on account of the fact that in a few days' time, when you watch me be murdered tomorrow, that I will conquer the greatest thing this world can throw at me, death. And that's why he's able to say, I've overcome the world. And so look at these statements. Trust is a must for a peace-filled life. It's not dictated by current circumstances. And Paul writes very well about this in Philippians. Here's what he says. And, and, and know this, that as, as Paul wrote this, he himself was imprisoned. He himself found his, himself in a place in life that, that wasn't one of those high, great moments that you just want to dwell on at all the time. He was in one of the more bummer times of life, imprisoned, chained up. And here's what he writes to a church in Philippi. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What I love in the message is that it says, just turn your worries into prayers. I love that reality. What if we turned all these things we worry and fret and have anxiety over more into prayer? But then look at how he closes it out in this verse. It says, in the peace of God, that shalom. That completeness, that life, that wholeness, which transcends all understanding, which is above human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace guards our hearts and our minds. It guards our, our hearts, our motives, our desires, our passions. It guards our minds, our thoughts, our dreams, our aspirations. It, it's not some security ADT system. It's not some app. It's not some local law enforcement. It's not a high IQ. It's not a college degree. It's not wealth. None of those things will guard the most valuable things you have, but peace will. But peace will. Peace will guard your hearts and your minds. And not only is it not dictated by circumstance as to what's going on around you, it's not even dictated upon understanding those circumstances of, of knowing the why did this happen? Why me? Why not them? How could this be of answering all those whys, all those whys, all those whys, of, of, of not understanding those things? It goes beyond that. Bill Johnson says it this way, and I love this quote. He says, if you want the peace that passes understanding, you're going to have to give up your right to understanding. It's called trust. And I'm not going to pretend that this is easy at all. It is almost easier to trust in something that's already happened Versus as it's happening, present tense. And our faith requires both, but it also requires the third, a future tense of trust. And the future tense of trust is really hope. That's what it is. It's hoping, it's expecting, it's knowing something will happen, even though it has not yet happened, but you're trusting it will happen. 
And so in Revelation 21, receive this overlay, hear these words, be encouraged by this truth, by this reality. It's as good as done, even though it hasn't yet happened. But in Revelation 21, it says these words, and I love it. This is out of the message. This really hit me home about a week ago, two weeks ago. It says, I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into Juanita. He's moved into Houghton. He's moved into Bridal Trails. He's moved into West of Market. He's moved into Rose Hill. Apparently, God is moving into Kirkland. Uh, that, those are the things just coming to my mind right now. That's where I live. But, but God is moving into the neighborhood. He's making his home with men and women. They are his people. He's their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone. Crying gone. Pain gone. All the first order of things gone. The enthroned continued, look, I am making everything new. I am restoring things back to the way that they were destined to be. He's going to do this, but it requires a future tense of trust. But it leads to a peace-filled life. Think of that. Cancer, gone. Rape, gone. Senseless murders, gone. No more having to attend funerals. No more unemployment, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more boredom, no, no more of these things that keep us down. No more, no more things that are, that, are, that are really causing us to cry, causing us maybe even to be in states of just numbness. It's gone. And so my encouragement this morning is this, that we can have a peace-filled life without needing to be in a peace-filled environment knowing that one day we will be. We will be. And so I just want to encourage you over Lake that it does hinge on really this trust factor. Trust is a must for a peace-filled life. Trust in the very source. Trust in Jesus Christ. Not only what he's done, but trusting in what he's doing currently wherever you find yourself. And trusting in what he one, will one day do. Let's pray. Lord, would this be so real to us that we live it, that it changes our lives, that this isn't something we talk about, this isn't something that we just take notes on, but this is something that, that transforms our way of living, that, that it fills us with this courage to be bold, to begin to pray out uh, uh, prayers, prayers that really are bold, asking you to bring peace in the here and now. To, to heal the sick, to, to, to make well the things that are broken, to feed the hungry, to do these things that we see around us that are not right. Would you use us as peace-filled people to, to go out, to bring the very things that you will one day bring in its entirety? We love you so much, Jesus. Fill us up with your spirit. In your name, amen.